welcome to another episode of the Alchemist podcast, an extension of the blog Alchemist in the Making. I'm your host today, Gina He, a millennial who also finds interest in the architecture's relationship with anything and everything. As mentioned in the pilot version, in this special collaborative series titled Is It What You Wanted? We are interested in having conversations on the whereabouts of people's journey before and after architecture. Today, we are joined by a special guest, Jessica Sonoretna, who is a good friend of mine. I actually met her probably on the day one of my journey, and yep. she is my little inspirational oh, figure. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and today, we will explore a little bit of uh, the topic of registration. Registration is a hard process and a big decision, let alone that she has to complete the process during this crazy pandemic time. So we will explore what else that she can't concur from here. And other than that, let's have a look at her journeys and other bits in life and what's ahead as well. So let's welcome Jess. Yay. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi Jess. So, uh, would you like to do a little introduction of yourself? Um, sure. So, yeah, as you mentioned, I think we met back in first year at Monash University in in a really difficult studio. I remember we had to hand draw everything, and your project had a lot of squares in it, which and I remember us having conversations about. That was probably the worst thing you could pick at the time and having to hand draw it. So um, that was quite funny. And then, yeah. yeah, so I guess my architectural journey, I suppose, yeah, began with choosing architecture, which was a very last minute decision because I'm very indecisive. It's just part of my nature and I've kind of learned <laughs> now in my, my older age how to deal with it a bit better. But back, you know, when I was 18 years old and um, applications were due for university, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I was back in Canberra and mum was, Mum and me were watching Grand Designs and she was like, oh, why don't you do architecture? And I was like, sure, okay, because I needed someone to make a decision for me. And so that's basically how I got into architecture. Um, and, yeah, I remember taking a gap year before uni because Mum and Dad were like, are you sure you want to do this? Do you even know what you're doing? I was like, no, I got no idea. I've got to move into state and it'll be great. <laughs> don't judge me. Um, but, yeah, so I guess I'm also very stubborn in that once I set my mind to something, like I'll it all the way through which I think is what happened with architecture and even though it was you know a massive struggle as anyone who has done it will agree with um like the course is very long hours little reward I think all you basically learn is how to take criticism um which is a good life lesson I guess um and then coming out of it and doing my master's I think I remember having we had a lecture from one of the parlour um, spokespeople and seeing those graphs and how few women get registered I think that was a mm. big push for me because I was like I don't want to be just another statistic um, and I think we even Parla shared something on the Instagram page the other day about mm. the stats in I think it was more of American based but it was still like there was this pyramid and in you know the, the majority at the bottom was 
you know, male registered architects. In the middle, it was mm. female registered architects. And at the top, it was like female and those of like a minority, like cultural background. And I was like, mm. wait a minute, that's me. <laughs> I was like, no, we got to get that equal. So, um, yeah, I guess yeah. that kind of, you know, pushed me a little bit more to be like, no, it is, it is worth what you're doing. Um, and mm. even if you don't end up wanting to own your own practice or anything like that, I think just doing my registration has kind of taught me a lot in terms of what we actually do as architects and what makes us mm. qualified and the advantages of having an architect in projects and kind of the, like it's kind of reassured me that we do do good and you know even though I'm sure everyone gets problems <laughs> and regulatory controls from council like it's it's good to have like your kind of job stance Cemented and all of that. So, yeah. Yeah. So, going back to a little bit of your life before architecture, like you, you are probably not the only one uh, jumping into architecture, like almost like at the last minute. Uh, because, <laughs> yeah, I feel most of us did. <laughs> yeah. So, grand design. TV series was the mm. one that inspired you to get into architecture. Is that correct? Yeah, or... more or less. I, I, I think because I was it all throughout high school, I was very much kind of science focused. Um, like mm. I, I liked arts. I like enjoyed creative things, but I don't know. I think I was kind of caught between, you know, like a creative type and more kind of academic, and so. When, when mum brought it up she was like you know it's a combination of both and how everyone assumes that to be an architect you're good at maths which is a lie but at the time it made total sense so I was like oh yes creative and like kind of you know more theoretical math space mm. it's the perfect combination so yeah I guess, I guess yeah, that was probably it so <laughs> once you get it into architecture study any surprise Oh, the whole thing was a surprise. <laughs> the whole thing. Day one was the biggest shock to my system ever. Uh -huh. I remember we had this like giant cardboard assignment and mm. yeah, we had to make like this model Chameleon. of a house or something. Yeah. And um, I remember someone in the class, like the, the tutor was like, oh yeah, this is due like Tuesday or Thursday or something. Mm. And then someone was like, oh, like, as in a fortnight from now and then the student was like no in two days and we all just looked around and was like what <laughs> what we have to get this done in two days and I was like still trying to work out how a scale ruler works and trying not to cut myself with a Stanley knife and it was oh my god yeah it was <laughs> the biggest wake-up call I think I've ever received in my life to this day I think I'm still probably trying to deal with that <laughs> PTSD <laughs> I know that you after you graduated you kind of go back to teaching mm. then you kind of reevaluate what was taught back then um, in terms of like the course structures and content I know yeah. that like during the time when you're studying it every classes and every courses is a pain in the system <laughs> so <laughs> So yeah, but like, but when you actually going back to like teaching people, mm. what, 
any changes in the mindsets and when you've evaluated it, it's like actually the hand drawing bits is actually a good fun because you're yeah. giving people the process to, um, you know, getting into the drop softwares and actually cutting that cardboard is good because you're giving the people a mindset of yeah. understanding the one-to-one scales and so on. Yeah. So, yeah, tell me a bit more about like when you're actually going back to teaching people. What what was what was in your mind and what was mm. your um, thought new thoughts set coming up in this? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I guess the biggest thing I had at the front of my mind was don't be like those mean tutors that you had back in uni. Like, don't <laughs> drill them. Be nice. They have it hard as it is. Like, it's a tough course, and it mm. you know will put you ch- it'll challenge you to the core. Like, go be that person. And then um, I think it was like the second class I taught, and you know the kids came up with nothing, and then I could feel myself being like, ah, <laughs> this, is, this is why, this is why the tutors are like that. But I'm sure we brought work to class like these these I remember there were some classes where you know the kids didn't bring anything to class but I I do understand and it is it's it's easy to forget like how much you're balancing at that age like you're suddenly given Mm. all this freedom you're in charge and you're responsible for your own um output there's no one demanding anything from you you're basically like you're making your own calls and it's I think it's it's a very difficult course to kind of stick to a routine when it's mm. like, and there's so many different demands from different classes. And um, so I guess that that was one of the challenges and it was just to keep reminding myself that they are doing the best that they can. And like, it, mm. it's, it's a very different learning curve. Um, but I suppose also being back, it was like, yeah, I guess we always used to hear that, oh, university is the best time ever. Like you, you get to design things that you never get to do in a real life. And then that was like another thing that was also true <laughs> going back. Like, yeah, you, this different yeah. mindset and this collaborative, creative approach yeah. between like, yeah, then like you don't really see them as students. Like it's this kind of intellectual debate about different mm. ideas and, <laughs> um, and this creative process, which isn't so much present in the real world once you get out of there. So it was nice seeing like different, like all the versatile briefs that students get and what we got back in the day and Mm. kind of seeing it from a different point of view in that, yeah, like they're learning like the fundamentals, but it is a lot more creative and it's like, it's a lot more stimulating than I think I remembered at the time. But yeah, it's kind of about extracting what is useful in it and, just reiterating that to the students and saying that, you know, in the real world, like this is applicable. It does. It seems crazy now that because you're designing a spaceship and I can't really tell when you'll ever get to do that in real life. But from that, you get an understanding of the basic principles of like spatial qualities and, you know, what we need at a one-to-one scale to do certain tasks and mm. things like that. So, yeah. I would say like the academic life in general is very different from real life. Yeah. In that sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then right after you graduated, you're juggling around for a little bit in t- between different jobs and as well yeah. as teaching. Yeah. Then straight up, other than that, I know that you were um, basically settled in a job afterwards then 
and and keep working down the journey. So we like we all kind yeah. of share the similar um, process of you know right after graduate start getting into working professionally. Yeah, and. But then you are the one that taking in one more step fast, faster than the rest of us. To, I mean, in terms of like getting registered and stuff. So since when did you have made up your mind and, you know, why now? Like, why not earlier in a little bit of the time frame rather than this crazy time? Well, I think I always had it in my mind, like, mm. Three years out from uni, which I think was like the minimum, basically. <laughs> like, do your registration, get it over and done with. And I think especially it helped that the projects and the work experience that I was getting at my job mm. definitely covered a lot of the criteria. Yeah. And then so, and talking to other colleagues, they were like, yeah, you know, you're ready, you could do it. Um, mm. And so that, I guess, kind of pushed me. And then, like, as I was, yeah, debating it with my other colleagues, I'm like, oh, what's should I register like what's the point of doing it and it's kind of like well if you've got the experience now like why delay it um and of course you know I kind of had that thought frame more at the back end of last year and Mm. earlier this year and then by the time that I registered it was like two (laughs) weeks later and it's like oh global pandemic fun times (laughs) but it kind of worked to my advantage I think like in that sense um there was nothing else I could do, so why not spend the time studying? And, yeah, it was very different. Um, So I did the PARC course, which was excellent. But, Mm. um, yeah, from hearing from previous people who had done it, like, you know, the the people who run it are great. And so it's kind of Mm. sad that we missed the opportunity to meet them in person. But online it was still, you know, we still learnt a lot. Um, And luckily I had a group of, friends from uni who are doing it at the same time so we were able to form our own Mm. study groups which really helped but I I can't imagine yeah if I was doing it on my own in this circumstance and not knowing anyone and not knowing who to talk to about it so yeah yeah, I think it was it worked out quite well (laughs) thankfully (laughs) yeah because uh like I was following Paolo's talk these days because they're being running a new series called light at the end of the tunnel there was one of the episodes talking about getting registered. Then one of the lady was uh, has brought up this, when is the time to get registered? I think this is just generally a question around the fresh graduate have some sort of experience. And she was saying that, you know, um, she asked around some of the seniors and actually for people to get fresh, like get registered around two, three years work experience is kind of a bit odd and very rushing and yeah there was no I know no I mean mm. I, everyone in the chat and in that um top in that uh, episode in the talk was saying that there's nothing rushed if you're ready then you know you're ready then yeah the, the time frame that the mm. registration board put up there is just an indication you know yeah yeah, and I guess that because everyone's experience is so different, and I think that's also probably something I've learned now doing this, like the registration process and hearing about other people's experiences at work and all of that. And it's just so like architecture is just such a diverse profession. Um, so everyone's doing like very different things, and you know, even though like I, 
like I primarily focus on residential architecture, so it's a lot faster process. So I guess we we experience things at a much quicker rate than someone doing larger commercial jobs. So <clears throat> it would make sense for them to take a lot longer to reach the stage in their career where they felt they were ready. Um, and I think it also kind of comes down to my personality as well. Like I think there are colleagues at work who were also like um, working in residential their whole career, but you know they, they took a bit more time to do it because they took breaks in between and they wanted to travel, which is great. Um, but I think for me it was just you know get it over and done with, and then, and then you can go and do whatever you want. Like yeah, it's a bit bit like ticking the boxes for me. I think. Yeah, like even like in, from time to time when we catch up with friends in the architecture industry, we always find that that we, even though we you know coming out from the same time, mm. and we always have different uh, different experience and uh, yeah, yeah, very different, very different. Which, is, which is kind of great. Mm. Um, yeah, like you you never get bored of hearing other people's stories about work because it is something that's yeah, completely different from one person to the next and different problems that have arisen and it's, it's, it's a funny thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so what was the, oh, well, of course, everything is online for your registration. Then the mm -hmm. class is online. What about the test? So how is the setup different and how, you know, <laughs> because you're taking a test <laughs> online, how do they justify, you know, the test qualities and so on mm. I guess from what I can understand even though yeah typically it's held like at the I don't know the ARBB center or wherever it mm. is um and but it's done online anyway so it's always been a digital test oh, um okay well I'm, like I think maybe back in the day they used paper obviously <laughs> but um in recent years it has yeah been on a computer so we had that same format but I guess the difference was is that we had like a um, online proctor, mm. which I'm sure a lot of the uni kids have experienced now. Mm. Um, and it was just a really weird experience. Like, you know, someone else who was in a different time zone, um, tip, like I think, I don't know where my invigilator was from, but. She had a very strong accent and I couldn't really understand what she was saying, but you just kind of had to trust that your privacy wasn't going to be invaded and they kind of took over your computer. Um, and so that was quite a weird thing. And, you know, and I was lucky in the sense of like my, the whole test ran very smoothly and that like, you know, all my, mm. the, the apps worked like in the right way and, the proctor person was able to set it all up properly and I started the time that I was meant to start whereas like some of my other friends who did it weren't so lucky and a few of them had like major issues with their laptops because they were like you know their software was too new to run it or something yeah. like that um and then you know others had their proctors making a lot of noise in the background <laughs> so they found it really hard to concentrate yeah. um and I think just that, just knowing that someone's watching you on the screen whilst you're doing it, like, and just having that additional stress of, you know, making sure your computer's all up to date and all of that, like, leading up to the test, I was kind of having weird nightmares about my laptop, like, breaking down and not working, yeah. <laughs> which is, yeah, not the right frame of mind you want to be in, like, leading up to it. And 
I just find it really funny that subconsciously that was my anxiety. Like it wasn't about the the information or the test itself. It was like the platform. Um, so yeah, like I I understand that it couldn't be avoided and that mm. you know they'd they'd already um, deferred the first half of the years to kind of all go in the same same lot at this time. Right. Um, but yeah, if avoided, if it can if it could be avoided, I definitely would. <laughs> Like, I would not want to do that again. Yeah. So so you said that the person will be taking over your screen while you're taking your test. Mm. So, and then they're actually watching you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it's how... They ruined. So, I'm too scared. <laughs> so they will take over your screen and then they mm. will be watching you over the cameras. I've heard that yep. the, there's some sort of room setup requirement as well, just to make sure that you won't yeah. be able to do anything sneaky. Yeah. So I think you you have to have something like reflective in the background to show like what's happening in front of your screen so they can monitor if anyone's walking past. And before you begin, you have to like, you know, pan them around the room so they can see, you know, that you've got no papers on your desk and you've got nothing that you shouldn't be allowed. And wow. um, yeah, and then because they take over your computer to ensure that you've got no like background programs running. Mm-hmm. So you can't like cheat effectively. Right. Um, so things like, yeah, in, in theory, they could access whatever you, you want. And so I think there were a lot of, concerned people who had like you know who use their laptop for or their computer for work um yeah, yeah. and yeah who were concerned about their privacy but unfortunately yeah there was nothing really else you could do yeah um so just one person like watching you or well like one person is watching several contestants at the same time um, do you know that i'm not too sure i think I think potentially one. Like I think there's, they like outsource it to like heaps of people, oh. um, and yeah, I I I think it's only like yeah one to one. I'm not I'm not that, that is a lot of effort to like <laughs> to assign one yeah. person to dedicated for one people that are in pass. And then um, so yeah, and then luckily, how long was my test? I think seventy five minutes. And I'm just thinking about you know students who have like three-hour exams and yeah. have to be monitored like whoever's got the bad job of watching them for three hours straight yeah <laughs> I don't know who who's worse off the the person taking the test or the proctor who knows <laughs> yeah so upcoming is your interview so by the time I assume that yeah. this podcast is uh, published you probably become an architect already oh, hopefully <laughs> oh. <laughs> don't you <think> it. <laughs> so, is there any requirement for the interview from there? Um, I think it's more just like a personalised chat to find out about your experience. And, mm. you know, the, we've been told that the interviewers can basically ask anything to do about architecture. So they could present you with made-up scenarios to gauge how would you how you would react in a certain situation mm. um, or, yeah, or ask details about projects you've been involved with and basically to get an understanding that you won't do anything risky if you would ever own your own business or yeah as to practice under as an architect like you wouldn't do anything to jeopardize yeah um yeah the architecture community or you know any of your potential clients etc mm-hmm. yeah 
to basically yeah, not to be like yeah just to ensure that you're not a risky person <laughs> yeah <laughs> you are the right person to represent this professional yeah <laughs> yes a bit like that so I'm pretty sure that you gone through this whole process there's some changes to your thoughts like from the mm. beginning that you maybe probably have a different motive to be, that's what gets you into the registration and during yeah. the time that you overwhelming <laughs> knowledge of this registration uh, related stuff then after this you got to your test what are the changes to the thoughts mm. um i think definitely doing it throughout the pandemic has had a huge influence of what I want to do with my registration and why I'm getting registered. Yeah. I think prior to any of this process, I was kind of, you know, had that typical naive thought process of, oh, and then I'll open my own business and I'll be my own architect and it'll be great. And I could design all the things that I want to do. And then, yeah, but finding it out and learning about all the risks that you bear as an architect yeah. of, like even things that aren't being overseen by you personally could still have massive ramifications on your integrity and insurances and liability. Um, And, and even, yeah. And then, and also having your own business, like given this global pandemic, like, you know, I've seen my own practice and many other practices like struggle to kind of keep up. And unfortunately everyone thinks of architects as something that's so expendable and, not really necessary like you you know we're not essential basically which is you know sad because a world without architects would be a real ugly one um so I guess yeah like going through that and yeah learning about the risks involved as an architect as well as the risks that carry on having your own practice I guess rather than seeing my registration as like okay now I can do my own thing I'm kind of seeing it more like okay now I'm confident in my level of kind of and my role at work and being able to have some responsibility and do things independently I kind of want to utilize that more to further my experience um in different typologies of architecture rather than yeah kind of using it as a stepping stone to open up new avenues rather than kind of continuing on a, a a linear path of just progressing um yeah I guess yeah this this, yes I don't know my own business etc like that's that's definitely not what I want to do now (laughs) in uni we have that professional practice we kind of you know touch base on the risks that we will be facing when we're working Mm. um, setting up our own practice and so on what are the difference I mean you kind of understand it that there will be risks of course then the registration course is teaching you something different I think it's just and with the added work experience that you've had like whilst you're doing your registration I think you you realize or at least I realized what the significance is of every single line that's drawn on a piece of paper and how it could be misinterpreted and how like it basically kind of opened my eyes to like how money hungry I guess the rest of the world is which is really unfortunate and that basically everyone's trying to sue everyone else and no one wants to be at that bottom line um and so I think it's it's not so much like that you know of course there's always risk 
in running any kind of business yeah, yeah. and like yeah but I think particularly doing this registration course um has taught me yeah like the risk associated particularly with architecture and um you know you, you're now responsible for coordinating every other consultant you deal with and mm. anyone working under you and like you just have to be really vigilant about what you're doing um yeah which is probably not something that I would want to be responsible for at this stage. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> but it's just a lot of hard work. <laughs> Do you think that if somehow the uni introduced this pod course uh, into university schedules, would that benefit the students at some point? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I, think, I think even re- I remember just like having chats with, a couple of people after our first or second prof prac class yeah. in fourth year and us all being like, oh, my God, this is so useful. This is actually what it's like to work. Why on earth weren't we taught this earlier on? Why on earth wasn't this introduced? Like, I, it is quite unfortunate that the first three years of at least yeah, our degrees, like, was just primarily focused on design and, you know, client briefs and that aspect when there's and, – and little to do with – either construction or like primarily yeah how to actually set up and be running as a professional architect Mm. like yeah we had no idea um so in terms of yeah like real life experience those yeah prospect classes are like invaluable and at least and now it's kind of we're going through this process you kind of realize oh yeah that what we learned was like legit it was the right thing (laughs) wow why didn't we focus more on that like I think everyone would be a lot more prepared of what to expect when you walk out that door yeah because as you yeah you kind of you don't yeah like I think essentially the first three years all you learn is how to deal with criticism um which especially you know a lot of like I I don't think I've ever had to really (laughs) utilize anything as strong as that at, at work ever before so because yeah. mm-hmm. I was having this conversation with another friend the other day. We were just talking about this liability-related aspect of things in architecture. Mm. Then, yeah, we just realized that you know there's a lot of things that we hasn't been talked on in the school, mm. and this is, should be the things that we've been taught to get prepared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's that won't be actually talked about, you know openly until you're actually taking in the registration process which is a yes. bit I feel a bit late <laughs> yeah I think it's definitely like uh, yeah it's, I don't know, it's yeah very it's confusing why it's set up mm. the way it is like I, I want to understand yeah I'd, I'd really like to know why yeah but then I think as you mentioned just now that the working experience would definitely help you to understand why this is important and all those aspects mm. and as you know the academic life and real life is so different and it's so different yeah maybe that's yeah. the problem yeah. like maybe the the people who make these decisions how to run the courses are thinking in that more academic sense mm. um, and they you know like to refine the creative part of architecture because I suppose mm-hmm. it is at the end of the day it's it's a design degree um I guess it's yeah about having that critical and spatial awareness to de- design well, um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't. 
I think having a, you know, at least some kind of um, course within your bachelor's years that go over mm-hmm. things like, you know, what to expect when you get outside would be really useful. Yeah, yeah. Ralph, finishing all this registration, what is in place for you next? Oh, a really long holiday. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> I think everyone's tired of being locked up in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's a bit overwhelming, the thought of all this freedom coming at once. Yeah, I'm actually a bit anxious, like, fingers crossed. Dan the Man releases us all soon. <laughs> um, but that in conjunction of no more study, I don't know. Like, I haven't even thought about it because I feel like I'd just be too overwhelmed and too many bubbles breaking at once. <laughs> All the freedoms, um, yeah. All the freedoms, but I think, yeah, definitely. I need to take some time to just think about what I want to do. Um, it's, and it's, it's, yeah, yeah, do next, and it's a very tricky time economically as well. Like I think options are only so limited. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm. I'm really not too sure. I'm, I'm hoping that something might just fall in my lap, but. <laughs> That's very wishful thinking. Mm, yeah. yeah, I understand. Like, it's just funny that we actually at home most of the time and kind of, you know, in the concept of relaxing, but we are not really. Mm, I think I've definitely found it harder to then separate, you know, work brain from like relaxed brain. Yeah. Like, even after hours, like, I'm just constantly thinking about work. Like, there's, I think having no physical separation is really kind of a detriment because you like, yeah, your home is now your workplace and it's, you know, my workplace is also my study place. And so I'm just sitting at the same spot day in, day out, and it's, it's awful. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure that you, when you're doing your love books and so on, you have a good reflection of your past life and examining <laughs> your experience down the track. So I'm going to throw you a big question of, is it what you wanted as for now? <laughs> oh God, that's a huge question. <laughs> um, I think I think so. Yeah. I kind of yeah, like reflecting on how I got into architecture, mm-hmm. like I went into very, very blindly, and even now I'm just kind of like blindly following along. What's you know what's happening, and it was actually kind of nice to whilst doing my logbook and reflecting on my experience, I'm like, wow, actually, like, although it didn't seem like a lot at the time and, you know, the last three, four years have gone by so quickly, like, you know, I have experienced a lot of things and um, it's, yeah, I suppose it is in a sense what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea. I don't know what I want. This is, <laughs> this is, this is way too much. Too heavy. I kind of, I guess I don't like to dwell on what the other alternatives could have been. I don't want to live in regret of thinking like, oh, what if I did this or whatever. Um, so I just kind of, you know, it is what it is and mm. I'm glad I'm getting through it and at least I can, you know, this could be another thing that I can say, yep, yeah, I'm an architect now because that's what we all really want to yeah. say and not be like, oh, I'm a graduate. What does that mean? I just don't want people to be confused anymore when you say you're a graduate architect because they're like, what is what? Yeah. 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 Of a series of is it what you wanted in this, we are just examining, you know, the different professions and trying to break down this 
you know big image of the architectural community or like mm. sometimes people just you know exploring other things down the road but which is yeah fine like yeah exactly like I think yeah before how how I mentioned yeah like the profession is so versatile mm. and I think like so long as you don't hold yourself up to a really difficult standard and you know I don't know like I don't know what I was going to say. It's <laughs> my mind. But I lost the track. But yeah, I guess in the sense of is this, is this what I wanted? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I think, I think <laughs> compared to a lot of people, mine has been quite a linear progression. I haven't really digressed a lot. Um, it's kind of your textbook example yeah. in, some, in many cases. Um, and then that suits me. It doesn't suit everyone, and that's yeah, and that's perfectly fine. But it definitely suited me and you know my values and personality. So yeah, and, and everyone's different. So yeah. So that's why I'm saying you have inspirational figures, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if you wanted to write a letter to the young self, which is you know. 18 years old of you like sitting in front of the TV watching the grand <laughs> design and, last, and the 18 year old Jess is like oh what do I want for my life and now you like going back to like say hi to the young Jess what would you say to her I think it'd just be you know, the I think I'd actually just tell myself to have a bit more fun with it mm-hmm. at the beginning like I think Going into it, I was so focused on, yeah, like getting good marks mm. and getting good critiques and pleasing all the tutors and, you know, if it wasn't a D or a HD, I'd be like, oh, I failed, nah. But I think as I got older, I started to care a lot less and it worked out much better in in terms of you know, anything, everything, better life balance, weirdly got better grades. And I think, I think it was just a... I would tell myself just to relax a bit more and just have mm. a bit more fun and have a bit more faith in yourself that, you know, you are you are good and everyone has their own strengths yeah. and weaknesses, but it's just to, yeah, to know your strengths and to have confidence in that. Um, yeah, I don't think I'd tell myself to do anything differently because I don't know if it would have been better or worse, but I don't want to dwell on that. I mean, yeah. probably I've set myself up to be... <laughs> poor for the rest of my life but that's another story yeah, I think it's just like you you find out that this is your true love maybe yeah like do you have a, any social media accounts and so on that you wanted to share to the public um sure I'm on Instagram I can't remember my handle so we'll find you yeah that's fun <laughs> <laughs> Gina we'll write it somewhere and this whole chunk <laughs> out <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, just delete that whole bit. Uh, past 45 minutes, just edit the whole thing. So. You end up with two minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. We have two good minutes. Oh, dear. Cause, yeah, because I have, like, cause, yeah, the account that I have, like, it was set up to be a, a professional account mm. when I did that mentoring thing. But yeah. I kind of, like, have like I haven't posted on it for such a long time. Life architecture. It's dominating your life, see? <laughs> I 
Okay, I think we are pretty good here. Thanks so much, Jess, for again for joining us in this special series. If you're interested in just Jenny, we will find out Jess' secret account and put it in the link in the notes. <laughs> Otherwise, if you've got other interesting topics that you would like us to explore, please drop us a message via the Instagram at Alchemist in the Making, in one words. This special series and episodes was recorded and produced by your special host, Gina He. In the meantime, stay safe and we will see you the next time. Bye! Bye.